I just want to thank everyone for this morning. I want to thank Tim and Kaya and Nicole because I was walking down the path to the car, from the car park to the church. Just hear the praise song start to kind of emanate out from the building. It's just such a beautiful sound. And I just wanted to thank Tim because today's sermon's about faithfulness. It's a long faithfulness. Can we flick over the, the button, someone? Um, it's a long faithfulness in the same direction. That's what I've named today's sermon as a part of our Meet God Almighty series. Becky, could you go on? Could you go flip it over or Luke? <clears throat> and it's funny because today, over and over again in the songs, have you seen the word faith and faithfulness like come out in numerous kinds of ways? It's been really interesting. And today it's really poignant and significant because today is... Pentecost Sunday, which amongst many other brilliant things, is the birthday of the church. So 2,000 years ago, when the Holy Spirit has poured out at Pentecost and those men and women of God, suddenly their lives are radically transformed and changed because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And now he's Emmanuel, he's God with them through the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole world is radically changed. And today... It is the 10th anniversary of Eastgate Bible Church because 10 years ago we started Eastgate on officially Pentecost Sunday where we had a threshold of 50 people where we were going to go public, so to speak, and meet publicly and so forth. And within a few months, God had really blessed us and brought together some wonderful people and we started Eastgate. So they're over there celebrating them and I've sent them some blessings and stuff like that. Uh, So... Again, this idea of a long faithfulness in the same direction, which I get from uh, one of the pastors who recently died, Eugene Peterson, he talked about faithfulness as being a long obedience in the same direction. And I wanted to talk about today a long faithfulness in the same direction. Because if we're talking about the church, its long faithfulness has been 2,000 years. Eastgate, 10 years, yeah, that's all right. We're about seven years as Willowburn, but really, compared to 2,000 years, uh, I think we can learn some things from the scriptures. So I wanted to, as you know, I wanted to use a bit of an illustration here today. I always like something visible, something tangible, something touchable. Does anyone know what this is, kids? This is just a candle, believe it or not. But it's a special kind of candle. This is a candle that has now become what's known as, anyone know? A hurricane lantern. Does anyone know why it's called a hurricane lantern or lamp? Yes. yes. <laughs> Does any kids know? Have you seen one of these before? You might have seen them out camping. So a hurricane lantern is called a hurricane lantern because you can take it out in a hurricane. Like I said, it's really just a little candle. Well, it uses oil, but it's protected. Now, these things are still widely used all across the world. And I didn't realize this, but... Kerosene lamps actually consume about 77 billion tonnes of oil every year. That's 1.3 million barrels of oil. Um, And that's about, so if you looked at all the jet fuel consumption, that's about 73 billion. So these little bad boys here are consuming 76 billion litres of oil, whereas jets that you're flying at the moment are about 73. So these are still widely used where there's no electricity and so forth. Now, what I really like about these hurricane lamps 
They're also known as kerosene lamps, but I think I like hurricane lamp better. It's way more poetic. In fact, these lamps are full of poetry, aren't they? Now, I need a kid to come and help me. You can all come at one at a time. We're going to test the hypothesis that this really can withstand a hurricane, and you're going to be my little hurricanes. You're going to blow and see if you can blow this thing out. You want to blow it out? Just blow really hard. Don't get too close because this is your safety briefing now, okay? Don't get too close. There's a little bit of a heat threshold here. But yeah, blow. See if you can blow it out. Maybe. All right, you ready? Oh, no, that, that was just a breeze. Come on, big hurricane. We want a hurricane. Come on, Zali. Hard as you can. Take a big breath. And out. Go. Go, go. Blow hard. Yeah. Getting a little bit. Maybe I'll just turn that up just a little bit. <laughs> try, try. You saw it move. Some, in fact, I think it was Paxton nearly got it. Now, it actually isn't supposed to flicker, so it's probably not seated properly. But uh, anyway. Now, I want you kids to understand this is the short version of the sermon is that God doesn't intend for us in our faith to be a little candle that the first little bit of wind that comes along just flickers and then out it's gone. He intends for us, I believe, because he's given us everything we need to be hurricane lamps. You think about a hurricane lamp, it actually creates its own environment. With the glass, it's, it's, it's basically creating its own little climate in there. It's protecting itself from the world. So at the same time, though, it's still providing heaps of light to the world. So it's not hidden away in a cupboard somewhere. It's actually designed to be taken out into the world, into the the high winds and the turbulence and the hurricanes of everyday life and keep on burning. I hope I put enough oil in there and it keeps burning the whole time. So Uh, unlike a candle, it's a very faithful light. And like you've already seen, you can blow against it, you can take it outside and it's going to be faithful. It's going to be in the world but not of the world. It's going to provide light for the world, even when the wind comes along and wants to blow it out. So that's my sermon. Woo, let's go. (laughs) Um, So you kids can go to Sunday school now. Now, all that stuff, kids, is actually in the Bible, and we're going to have a look at that now. But as we think about Pentecost, and as we think about the church, and as we think about Hurricane Paxton, As the church heads towards its 2000th birthday, I thought, what does it mean to be faithful? And we're doing our mega series, which is our Meet God Almighty series. And that's session number 44 that we're up to today. So we've had 44 opportunities to meet God Almighty in the Old Testament from Genesis all the way into Kings. And we've been looking at a few Kings and we've already seen, yeah, some faithfulness, but also a lot of unfaithfulness. So in our mega series, we've encountered the book of Samuel and of Kings, and we've already seen faithfulness suffering badly. But what do I mean by faithfulness? Well, when you look up the dictionary definition, it actually gives you some really good, I think, uh, connotations. Steadfast in affection or allegiance. And that word allegiance is really important because as you've seen in previous sessions on faith, the original Greek word for faithfulness wasn't just trust and dependence. It was also allegiance. So early Christians were allegiance to the Lord Jesus. 
And you demonstrated your faithfulness by demonstrating your allegiance to him, no matter what, by not selling out or copying out or compromising. You showed that faithfulness by showing allegiance. Funnily enough, it's in the English dictionary as well. Constant, fast, firm, loyal, true, true hearted, trustable, trustworthy, not affected by outside influences. That is what it means to be faithful. So in our mega series, we've kind of seen this, oh, I don't know, faithfulness just basically flicker and flame out. We saw it in Solomon, haven't we? So here's Solomon at the beginning of his reign where God has so blessed him. And did you know Solomon's name? Did you know, do you know he was named something else by God? Does anyone remember that? He was named Jedediah, which basically means beloved of God. And so he's given this wisdom and he's given all these riches and we see here at the start of his reign that King Solomon is offering this immense sacrifice to God. He's got everyone in. It's a massive feast. And he's just built the temple of God. And then a few decades later, we read Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. So these were local desert tribal sort of deities that the Israelites took on and then Solomon through a whole bunch of different unfaithful choices begins to build things to Molech and Molech was the horrible demon god where it was essentially a big hollowed out uh, um, structure with an ugly face and a mouth and inside the mouth was a furnace and so to please Molech does people remember what you had to do you had to take your firstborn and place them in the mouth of Molech and hear the screams of the little babies. This is Solomon, Jedediah, loved of God. And it's like, what's happened to your faithfulness, Solomon? And because King Solomon goes on this trajectory, his whole, because well, the king, you know, the king, he sets the culture. So the whole nation of Israel follows. Oh, the king's doing it, we'll do it too. And so we're told that, they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And then we heard about Rehoboam. The nation was split. And then we're told there, same thing. People began to worship on the high places, worshipping the, the ashram. There were male cult prostitutes in the land. This is Yahweh's land. Remember our sermon? This is God's country. Why live like hell? Now they're living like hell. I mean, think about that. God's country, Yahweh's country. Now it gets worse from that. Here's a summary I found on the internet, and you can see here all the kings of Judah on the left. Some 20-odd kings, I think. Kings of Israel on the right. The red is bad. The good is green. How much red is there? Well, in Israel, it's pretty much all red. And in Judah, it's pretty much 50-50. Some of those, there's a little bit more nuance there. Some have started bad and end up good. Manasseh, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> the, some others like uh, Asa, for example, he starts off good, ends up bad. So there's a lot of nuance. And what I want you to do, we're not, we don't have time to go through every part of Kings. I'd love for you to read the intrigue, the drama, the terrible tragedy of the Kings. I'd love for you to read that over the next few weeks. If you haven't ever read them before, read them. And what you'll see as I'm showing you here is this 
unfaithfulness, murder, child sacrifices, thievery, immorality, and it's all ingrained and enculturated. You see, as soon as the king succumbs to cultural sweet poison, cultural sugar of their neighbours or their own sort of desires, their own selfishness, their own power-mongering, so too do the kings. And so for over 400 years, you see this terrible swaying from serving Yahweh to serving Molech or serving all the other Canaanite gods. And so if we're using our illustration of a hurricane lamp, they are not hurricane lamps. The first little bit of wind that comes along, the first bit of cultural wind, the first cultural circumstance that comes along, they blow out. And once the candle blows out, the light is gone because these people were supposed to be a literally the early version of the city of light on a hill. They were supposed to be glowing brightly in radiance for God through all of the nations. They were supposed to be God's country with God's justice, God's love, God's faith on display. Their law in those days, I don't know if you know this, was like no other law in terms of its benefits to women and slaves and foreigners. It was far superior, far superior. I mean, no other nation allowed necessarily a slave to be freed and insisted that every so often they had to free the slaves. Women as well fared very well under the Jewish law when it was practiced in faithfulness to God. If you came from another nation, you could be grafted in. And we see that all through the scriptures in many surprising ways. Remember Rahab, prostitute who turns into a princess. Moses' father-in-law, Jephro, probably Caleb. David's mighty men, such as Uriah. And so we learn from, uh, from early on in our mega series that this nation was supposed to be this glowing beacon for God. And we're told in Samuel that Samuel says, as they begin the kings, they begin the era of the kings, be sure to fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully. And we, we, we saw back then that there was this idea, this picture that the Bible gives of what faithfulness looks like, and it's this idea of uh, walking with God, and it, and it comes in many ways. So if you're on the road to Judah back in the day, and Israel, and to Jerusalem, you were supposed to be walking along, and as you got closer and closer to God's country, you were supposed to see other people, right from the poorest of the poor all the way to the richest of the rich, walking with God. This is how the Bible puts it, walking before God walking in the ways of God, looking to the Lord, seeking the face of God, serving before God, calling on the name of the Lord, abiding in the Lord. They were supposed to be friends of God. And instead, what you may have seen at certain times is a horrible furnace and the screams of children. And I don't know if you've ever read Ezekiel, but there's a shocking passage in Ezekiel where We're told, this is what Ezekiel says. He's talking about Israel and Judah, and in Judah in particular, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. So who here looks at the account of Sodom and the men there that wanted to rape the angels? Just, you know, this debaucherous act. And have you ever then associated that with Israel or Judah? Because this is what Ezekiel is saying. And Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, is towards the end of kings, towards the end of the reign of the kings, when it's all uh, coming to an end. And Ezekiel actually writes when he's in exile in Babylon. 
Your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you have done. And you might go, well, I'm never going to sacrifice my babies to Molech, Adrian. But do you understand that all these things start on a trajectory? They have the thin edge of the wedge. We're not talking about today. When you read Kings, you're talking about years, decades, centuries. And I'm talking to you today about, in your family, years, decades, centuries. Here's the full context of that quote about Sodom from Ezekiel 16. Everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter. You are a true daughter of your mother who despised her husband and her children. You are a true sister of your sisters who despised their husbands and their children. So imagine your marriage. Imagine that one of you is unfaithful, but on the surface you're still saying, hey, everything's cool. Everything's okay. And you're saying to your children, you're going through the motions, but you're off sleeping with somebody else. And you're doing it deliberately and wantonly over and over again. This is the picture that we're given here. You not only walked in their ways, the ways of Sodom, but you copied their detestable practices, and in all your ways you soon became more depraved than they. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, your Sodom, your sister Sodom and her daughters never did what you and your daughters have done. And what's really fascinating is God then goes on to say how he's going to redeem Sodom. I'll let you go and look into that yourself and have a read and have a think about that, how that could possibly be. Go and read it. I won't go into it now. But the point that I'm making is if you look at the trajectory of the kings, it's a trajectory into unfaithfulness. It's a long unfaithfulness in all sorts of directions. It's a long unfaithfulness in all sorts of directions. And so anyway, but you might go, well, why have you called it a long faithfulness? Because in amidst all that unfaithfulness, there are some hurricane lamps. And I want to bring to you today a surprising one. We're not going to spend a whole bunch of time on it, but I want to bring a surprising example of faithfulness. And you might want to turn to Jeremiah 35. So Jeremiah, like I said, is writing at the end of the era of the kings. In fact, he is the one who will experience the last kingdom the last king before they're finally carried off into exile and Jerusalem is burnt. And so I want to read this story and I've deliberately spent a lot of time framing the story because I just want to read the story and let it sit with you. Now, who here has heard of the Rechabites? So the Rechabites now, in a modern term, it was funny, I was reading The Australian the other day and there was an article and the guy was using the Rechabites as an insult almost. He was saying, and these people are like Rechabites, who he was sort of saying are in, you know, a bit, I don't know, insistent and annoying in their agenda. They're just pushing their agenda. So the Rechabites in our modern society are actually uh, promoting, um, what's the word, the technical word for not drinking alcohol? I've just got a mental block. Abstinence. Now, oh, isn't that more? Yeah. <laughs> Is it? Okay. So they're promoting this abstaining from alcohol, right? And so in modern times, maybe more in the 50s and 60s, they almost got this bit of a reputation about being these annoying people that were always pushing their agenda. Okay. Well, like many 
things that have come from the Bible and then have sort of changed and morphed over the years. The real story of the Rechabites is something way more interesting and way more exciting for us. So I'm just going to read the story and then I'm going to ask you a question. And I'm going to ask you the question that God asks Israel. Okay, you ready? Shall we read together? Now, as you read, you may be tempted to read footnotes and jump over here and there. I just ask that you stick with me because it's really important that we get to this question and we consider it together without being distracted. If you get distracted, don't worry. That's fine. Remember how we talked about how your brain works? Just bring it back. Um, you'll strengthen your ACC. So if you get distracted, just bring it back. I mean, I have to bring my mind back all the time. In fact, now I have to bring it back. No. Here we go. Jeremiah 35, we're going to read through to verse 19. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. So they're under siege. The whole city's about to fall. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one side of the rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So I went to Jazaniah, that'd be a good name for a son, Jazzy, Jazaniah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord and into the rooms of the sons of the Hannah, son of Igdaliah, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Messiah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. The Bible gives us lots of detail so that we'll know it's real, not just fictional. Then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the men of the Rechabite family and said to them, drink some wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine because our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. And also you must never build houses, sow seed or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but you must always live in tents. Then you'll live a long time in the land where you are nomads. We have obeyed everything our forefather, Jonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we, nor our wives, nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in or had vineyards, fields or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything in our forefather, Jonadab, that our forefather, Jonadab, commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon invaded this land. We said, come, we must go to Jerusalem to escape the Babylonian Aramean armies. That's where all the walls were. That's where they could actually go and hide and hopefully find refuge. So we have remained in Jerusalem, verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, go and tell the men of Judah and the people of Israel, will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? Jonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his sons not to drink wine, and to this day that command has been kept. To this day they has been kept. To this day they do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command. But I, I have spoken to you again and again, and yet you have not obeyed me. Again and again I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you, and they said, Each of you must turn from your wicked ways, you must reform your actions, don't follow the other gods to serve them. Then you will live in the land I've given to you and your fathers. But you paid no attention. You didn't listen. The descendants of Jonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command their forefather gave them. But these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring on Judah and on everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. This is after hundreds of years that God has actually been warning and warning. I spoke to them, but they did not listen. I called to them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed the command of your forefather Jonadab and have followed all his instructions and have done everything he ordered. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man serve before me. That just went out. (laughs) Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? This is the question. This is the question that the Lord God brings to Israel and says, will you not learn a lesson and obey my words? Now, interestingly, if we go back in time, we can see where Jonadab, son of Rechab, begins. And we're not specifically told back in Kings. And I'll just read this to you. Don't go there now. But we're not specifically told why this vow came about, but you can probably see why. So there's a king called Jehu, who's a king of Israel, starts off okay, turns out really, really bad. And part of what he's doing is, you probably remember uh, Jezebel in the time of Elijah and Elisha, Ahab and Jezebel. Well, he's the guy that basically wipes them out. And while he's on his way to do that, there's this account to do that. There's this account. He comes upon Jehu and his chariot, comes upon Jonadab, son of Rechab, who was on his way to meet him. Jehu greets him and says, are you in accord with me? Are you with me? I am, Jonadab answered. If so, said Jehu, give me your hand. So he did. And Jehu helped him up into the chariot. And Jehu said, come and see with me my zeal for the Lord. And he had him ride along in his chariot. When Jehu came to Samaria, he killed all who were left of Ahab's family. He destroyed them according to the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. That's all we're ever told about how this vow, this covenant with God started. But I think when you look at that and you read the context and then you know that this man, who obviously was a godly man because his whole family has followed God, this man Jonadab has seen what Jehu becomes and at some point or another he goes, this city is becoming so corrupt, we need to get out. Perhaps he's seen drunkenness, perhaps he's seen the trajectory of wine. This is not about not drinking wine, this is about drunkenness and so forth, but he goes, nah, for me and my family, we will not drink wine at all. We will become nomads. We will give it all up. And this is really interesting because there's 129 years worth of kings all the way up to Jehu where all these really bad, stinking cultural practices have become ingrained, and yet there's still this hurricane lamp of Jonadab who goes, no, we will be different. Anyone know how many years, how many generations they stayed true to their vow? 250. 255. Oh, well done. It's funny though, isn't it? Because you still get a lot of satisfaction from answering, even though it's there. It's weird. 250 years. But think about this, because he says, Jeremiah says, this isn't just about the sons of Rechab. He talks about the daughters. So think about this. So while all that stuff is happening, all those kings are doing their thing, all those terrible things are happening, there's 250 years of fathers being faithful fathers, following God. There's 250 years of mothers being faithful mothers. When did Australia start? 1788? Well, that's when white Australia started. But white Australia has been going for what? 240 Um, Do any of you know of your great-grandparents' legacy? 250 years is a long time. 250 years of brothers and sisters being faithful brothers and sisters in Israel. You know, 250 years of mothers is really important. When you read through Kings, you're going to see a theme. 
Often a king, when they go bad, it will mention the mother's name and the mother's name oftentimes won't be of Israelite origin. They'll come from one of these other nations where there is child sacrifice and so forth. So for the Rechabite mothers to be faithful for 250 years is an amazing thing. Another thing you'll notice if you read through Kings is you'll see Kings starting off okay, but then ending up badly, like we mentioned before. So you've got 250 years of the elderly being faithful elders in Israel. And so now the Lord's question for Israel and for us, well, before we go there, speak for your servant is listening. There's no point having this question asked if we're not listening. Obviously, I get this from Samuel, our earlier mega series. Those that walk with God are listeners of God. You know, we say many times through the week, as I've said before, speak Facebook because I'm listening. Speak Twitter because I'm listening. Speak Netflix. Stand. Speak Instagram. Speak friends, therapists, public stars. I'm listening. But again, when was the last time you said to God, speak for your servant is listening and really meant it? And maybe this isn't even the time. Maybe this is just something you log away in your memory and through the week you get up early and you go, speak for your servant is listening. Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? That's the question. Will you not learn the lesson of the Rechabites who encountered cultural winds that were probably just as strong, if not way stronger than what you experience every single day. And yet for 250 years, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters were faithful to the call of God. And I believe when Jeremiah says, you will never fail to have someone serve before God. I believe right now, they don't even probably know it. There are Rechabite people out there who are still serving God. Incredible. And the reason this really penetrates into my heart is because when I look at my own life, oftentimes there's this propensity to sort of go, oh, you know, it's pretty hard following you, God. And it's almost like I'm giving God, doing him a favour by following him because so many people aren't. And this may not be for you, but it's definitely for me. And this has really spoken to me because it's like God flips it around and says, no, 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 don't seek to put the burden of proof on why you should follow me. Um, put the burden and proof on why you're not. Because <laughs> it seems to him to be so natural that you would follow him. And if you think about it, for the Israelites, all the blessings they were given, the legacy that they were given, the miracles, the stories, the, uh, you know, the, it, it is, the burden of proof is the other way. Have you ever wondered, and I really want you to get curious, I'm not saying this as a condemnatory thing, I'm actually saying it as an inquisitive, curious thing. Have you ever wondered why we obey or disobey while we go or stay while we choose or unchoose while we listen to god's command or we ignore it have you ever wondered why there are some answers some deterministic answers out there but again if you just take the recobite story it seems to be that god is saying i'm wondering too not in a sense of subverting his omniscience in any way but Wondering in a sense that here is tangible proof that people can follow God and should follow God. And I believe they are fully empowered by God to do so. But still they had a choice. We have a choice as well. 
Have you ever wondered why this special gift of faith that's been given to you, we treat it like a candle in the wind that's just snuffed out so easily, and then we make it kind of maybe give reasons and rationale for that. Oh, you know, I'm tired, or perhaps that world out there. It's, it's tough these days. It is tough. But God has expected us to be that hurricane lamp that keeps burning. I have spoken to you again and again, yet you haven't obeyed me. I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. They each said, turn from your wicked ways, reform. But you wouldn't listen. Later on, we're told that all day long I hold out my hands. This is God speaking to us. The God of the universe, the God of the Rechabites. Powerful cultural forces and winds contaminated God's country his justice, his faith, his hope, his love. So today is the birth of the church. Today is Pentecost. And I'm willing to go on record as saying that even though that hurricane lamp has gone out, the power and the flames and the fire of the Holy Spirit will never go out. Amen. Yes. Woo! Hey? And so today on Pentecost, no matter how dull you're feeling, or feeling that the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit is amongst us. So this week, as you go out into the week, find that time and go, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. I, you asked me on Sunday to learn from the lesson of the Rechabites. I want to learn from it. I want to know what it is to have this long faithfulness. So what I imagine is a uh, hundred years from now, it's, what is that? 2119 in the year of our Lord. Well, 2219, 2319, 2419, 2519. Me and Tim are writing some songs because in heaven I can actually sing. Uh, in the new kingdom. We're hanging out with some Rechabites. They're telling us about the hero stories of God and how he delivered them and helped them to remain faithful. Uh, maybe we're hanging out with some angel beings who are long for the ride kind of thing. You know, these majestic, super powerful beings. And I look around and I see all your faces there. <laughs> and you've got your new super bodies. That's the new kingdom. It's the new heavens. It's the new earth. There are things that you, well, we can't even fathom right now. We don't have the vocabulary for it. And you're on that, you're on that wave of long faithfulness. Peter tells us that his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own great glory and goodness. Through these we have his great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature. You participate with Emmanuel, God's Holy Spirit. And there's fire. There's light. And now this isn't just like a big bonfire. This is just a, a steady light, a steady, you know, that, that hurricane lamp you could take in a completely dark place and it'll change. It'll, even this big building here, it would change it fundamentally. It would not only give someone something to look at, but it would illuminate everything that it looks at. And that's how we're supposed to be, that light, atmosphere, circumstance changing influence. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So really the struggle for us, the choice that we must make, 
is not even whether we'll be faithful or not. It's whether we will actually abide in the Lord Jesus. We will participate in the divine nature. So when you go this week and say, speak for your servant is listening, ask him, what is blocking you in your own mind, through your own choices and determinations perhaps, from experiencing the fullness of the participation? Because wherever you're at, you might be really enjoying sweet fellowship with God at the moment. You might be feeling distant from him. Wherever you're at, he wants you to be closer. He wants you to be closer. You know, the last few weeks we've been thinking profound things about the church, foundational things about the church, the future of the church. One thing I'll say is I'm not going to keep going through the motions. Okay, I love you guys and I feel like the people that are here today are here for a reason. And I really believe that you have displayed a long faithfulness. But I think you're a bit the same, aren't you? You don't want to just go through the motions of church, do you? And I think the last few weeks we've really been reinvigorated and inspired, like the conference said, inspired, to think about what that means. And I really believe God has given us some tangible ideas and tangible practices and tangible rhythms that we want to actually get into and we want to bring you along on the journey we're not actually asking you necessarily to do stuff yet we're just going to try and model it for you but we really appreciate your prayers about it because again we want this long faithfulness to be manifest and so as we now prepare ourselves for communion i want you to think about the ultimate in faithfulness the long faithfulness of god to his people you know god in the beginning in Genesis, at any time in Kings, could have gone. He's way more powerful than Thanos, guys. <laughs> My click's working really well today. Must be the cold. He could have just finished it all, disabled all the atoms, uh, disabled the forces, the strong nuclear forces, weak nuclear forces, electromagnetic gravitational forces, nothing exists anymore. Uh, could have done that at any time. But because he is love, we are told that God is love. Whoever dwells in love dwells in God. Because he is love, he looks at these people. He looks at the child sacrifices. And there's some sophisticated plan where he says, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to accept the responsibility for that. And I'm going to take it onto myself. And then I'm going to redeem and restore it. And this is not going to be done over 10 minutes. This is going to be done over decades, centuries, literally millennia. The lamb that was wounded, sacrificed before the beginning of time. So God already knew way back then there would be a long unfaithfulness within which he would have to demonstrate the long faithfulness. He already knew, he already created knowing that he would go to the cross. This is incredible. The Rechabites have nothing on Jesus. Jesus gave up the kingdom. They gave up just some dodgy shanties in a city probably. You know, they, they, I've thought about this for a while. Jesus has all the benefits and the privileges of heaven and of all of that. And, and he gives that up. That's like me going, having to live literally in a, in a, in a, in a tip in India. And that, that's what he's willing to do. The long faithfulness in the Bible is not the Rechabites or your favourite heroes. It's the long faithfulness of God and of Jesus to the cross and to the open tomb. And because there is an open tomb and an empty tomb and 
so much evidence in the antiquity bears this out. Wow, like if we are, what's it say? Faithless, he will remain. So you know what that you know how that plays out? So when we're doing our little decisions and stuff, he lets us go. Pretty good type stuff. Maybe lets the choices play out. But there will be a time when he comes for you. When he comes for you, and today is the day of salvation, and you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like the Israelites did over and over again. Don't harden your hearts. Don't sit there waiting for the lightning bolt Holy Spirit moment either and use that as another excuse. No, just turn, be faithful in that little moment and watch as God then makes you more and more faithful with bigger and bigger things. What it means is that over and over again, our Lord, the Good Shepherd, will go and come for for us. And so I really ask you as you go away this week to pray again this prayer, this Psalm of David. Guide me in your truth. And teach me, for you are God my Saviour and my hope is in you all day long. And as we think about the future of the church, not just in terms of ten, the next 10 minutes or the next 10 years, but in terms of millennia, like wouldn't you like, depending on how long God gives us, wouldn't you like to see your descendants to the third and fourth and fifth generation perhaps into hundreds of years and go, yeah, yeah, I was your granddaddy, <laughs> your great, 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 great granddaddy, your great, great, great grandma. Let me tell you some stories about God's faithfulness. Let me tell you about this little Sunday where this dude was up the front preaching. Or let me tell you about this time we were doing this and that and the other thing. And this actually, you can see it now because now we know fully, you can see it. You can see that this led to you coming to know God hundreds of years later. Oh, that's pretty cool. Let's, let's, let's learn the lesson of the record boys. Let's ask God that he would guide us in his truth and, and teach us. And so as we now come to the table, there is one thing that is certain, and that is, is that he will remain faithful when we are faithless. You know what? I'm going to leave this faithless hurricane lamp here. It hasn't burnt properly since I bought it, and I've got reason to believe that it's a brummy one because it was burning in two parts and but it, is, and it wasn't supposed to do this, guys. It was supposed to actually be burning brightly and you were supposed to come up and get the elements and, oh, look at that burning. No, no, no. <laughs> right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put it right in the middle and I'm going to let you know that God has redeemed that faithlessness. God has redeemed it. And, but don't stay there. Please don't stay there. Because how is this? How is this? Imagine darkness in here and you want to lead people to that, how will this ever lead people who so desperately need it to that? To the table, to the table of our Lord, to, to hear the hero stories of Jesus, to truly understand. Don't, don't you get it that most of the time they just don't understand who Jesus is? They just don't understand his heroics. He's become this religious, weird looking figure on pictures to most people. But if they were to understand some of these stories from the Bible, which you have in your hearts, then this will burn brightly and you will be able to lead them here. So, yes, you're redeemed, your faithlessness is redeemed, but as you come and you participate in the divine nature, I want you to think, Lord, thank you, but now show me your ways, teach me your truth, guide me in your truth, because my hope is in you all day long. So we'll take the bread and actually I'll ask, uh, Becky, would you mind breaking the bread for us today, please? So as Rebecca breaks the bread, And another illustration, Rebecca, means to bind, to be loyal, to be faithful. As she breaks the bread on our behalf, 
we remember the body of the Lord Jesus who demonstrated with his own broken body a long faithfulness. And as we take of the cup, we remember our Lord Jesus who demonstrated with his spilt blood a long faithfulness to us.